Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. The show is across the nation, and we got to talk about something far across the ocean. There is a situation... And, well, it's not good. Far across the ocean, on the far side of the world, is a small island in the Bay of Bengal, in the Indian Ocean, the southeast, off the southeast tip of India. The island of Sri Lanka, its capital is Colombo. And it is a wonderful place of wonderful people. It is one of the prettiest places you can visit on planet Earth. The people, some of the nicest, friendliest people you will ever encounter. For a very long time, northern Sri Lanka is an ethnic group called the Tamils. And they were persecuted minority. They were treated badly. Uh, Their leaders were inculcated with Marxist thought. Sri Lanka was a strategic point for the West. And the Soviet communists made friends with the Tamil Tigers and helped fund a massive rebellion that went on for years, far longer, even after the Soviet Union collapsed until just a number of years ago, the Tamil Tigers and the Sri Lankans were at war and they finally made peace. They made peace under President Rajapaksa, the eighth president of Sri Lanka. Now, you should know that um, he was, at the time, the head of the Sri Lankan Armed Forces. They killed their leader. And over time, we're able to get peace. Rajapaksa and his family have a long tradition of service in Pakistan of the ruling party elite there. His brother had been uh, president. He became president. He said others in his family put in charge. Um, So, for example, you've got one brother who's president now his brother had been president is now prime minister although now being chased out of office due to riots they've been chased out of office for a number of reasons one of which is because after the collapse of the tamil tigers what happened is the brothers decided to celebrate by building monuments to themselves So they built a national stadium that is almost impossible to get to in the jungle. They built and remodeled a massive port that has led the country to the verge of bankruptcy. They've taken out loans from China, couldn't pay off the loans in China, now has a military base and port control near Jaffna on the northern part of the the island. It's a strategically important area just south of India, and essentially the Chinese now control it because these brothers made terrible loans they couldn't pay off. And they built other monuments to themselves as opposed to taking care of the people. And then they did something else. 
to show the world that they were progressive and to impress the Western elite. They decided to transition the country's farms to organic farming. Now, if you don't know what organic farming is, basically you're using um, you're using non-synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. So you're using cow poop and you're using ladybugs to kill the aphids and other organic methods. It's been a complete disaster. Now, what works for the Prince of Wales on his small plot of land in Great Britain, it's kind of the, the model organic farming. Uh, Charles, the future king of England, is a big advocate of, of organic farming. Well, it's great for rich white people to do. But for the poor farmers of Sri Lanka, it's been a disaster. I want to read you from Foreign Policy magazine. The results have been brutal and swift. Against claims that organic methods can produce comparable yields to conventional farming, domestic rice production fell 20% in just the first six months. Sri Lanka, long self-sufficient in rice production, has been forced to import $450 million worth of rice, even as domestic prices for the staple of the national diet surged 50%. The ban devastated the nation's tea crop its primary export and source of foreign exchange. By November of 2021, with tea production falling, the government partially lifted its fertilizer ban on key export crops, including tea, rubber, and coconut. Faced with angry protests, soaring inflation, and the collapse of Sri Lanka's currency, the government finally suspended the organic farming policy for key crops. But they only did so last month, and they're keeping it in place for others. The government is offering $200 million to farmers as direct compensation and an additional $149 million in price subsidies to rice farmers who incurred losses. That hardly made, hardly made up for the damage and suffering the ban produced. Farmers have been criticized uh, that the payments are insufficient and excluded many farmers, most notably tea producers, who offer one of the main sources of employment in rural Sri Lanka. The drop in tea production alone has caused economic losses of $425 million. Prior to the pandemic's outbreak, the country had achieved upper-middle-class income status for most of its residents. Today, half a million people have sunk back into poverty. Inflation is soaring. The currency is depreciating. Sri Lankans are cutting down on food and fuel purchases. The country's economists have called the government to default on its debt repayments to buy supplies for the people. The farrago of magical thinking, technocratic hubris, ideological delusion, self-dealing, and sheer short-sightedness have produced the crisis in Sri Lanka. It implicates the country's political leadership and advocates of sustainable agriculture. Rich white people tend to be delusional. Have you all met a bunch of really, really rich, like obscenely wealthy white people? I know some obscenely wealthy white people. And what I find really remarkable about obscenely wealthy white people, listen, I would like to be an obscenely wealthy white person one day. I, I, you should know I want to be an obscenely wealthy white person one day. But what I have found about a lot of obscenely wealthy white people who particularly uh, live in, in New York or live along the coast is they lose touch with what it's like 
for the average person out there. And they suddenly think because they can afford to do things, other people can afford to do things. I have a very dear friend whose family is obscenely wealthy. And this person asked one time when I was uh, struggling the start of my career, my wife and I combined weren't making a combined total of probably $85,000. Combined two incomes, not making $85,000. We just had a kid. We were struggling. Had a lot of student loan debts that we were having to pay off. Um, my car was about probably 10 years old, held together literally the windows with duct tape. And this friend of mine thought we needed a break and invited us to a family ranch out in Colorado. And I looked and the economy class ticket at the time was about a thousand dollars a person that time of year to get out there. And I relayed the information and my friend says, oh, I didn't realize it was that expensive. So what do you mean? Well, they take the family's private plane. You just, you, you, you get to a level where un- unless you ground yourself in the lives of other people, it can be very insulating. It's one thing like I, I live on a, I live in a cul-de-sac. I had a buddy of mine sitting on my front porch last night and he was just amazed at the number of people who would come past the house just to just to look, just to see, am I really there? It is becoming an issue. One day I want land uh, and no neighbors. But I, I live in a neighborhood. I do my own grocery shopping. I know the price of milk because I'm the one who buys it. I know the price of a loaf of bread because I'm the one going to the grocery store. Uh, instant cart's too expensive these days. You got to do it yourself. And I don't like instant cart either because they're not very good at picking out your vegetables and your, your meats and stuff. I want to go do it myself. So I do my grocery shopping. I'm not surrounded. You know, Rush Limbaugh one time told me the thing he missed most in life was not being able to the grocery store. And, you know, I was talking to Brian Kilmeade a while back and he still goes to the grocery store. He, he's, he's, he's got a, he's not going to give up the life he always had. But I know people, like I know a guy in particular, he owns a floor of a skyscraper in Manhattan. And he has a 24-7 chef, doesn't even live there full-time, but keeps the chef there full-time. If family or friends want to come by, and, and they can they can have the chef anytime, day or night, make whatever they want. It's great. I mean, it's a luxury. It, it, it's, it's fantastic. But they lose touch with the reality. And one of the ways that so many rich people have lost touch with the reality is they're convinced because they can do organic for farming. Everyone else can too. Actually, Standard agriculture is cheaper to do it with the synthetic fertilizers and cheaper to do it uh, with the synthetic pesticides. It's less hands-on. The organic farming is far more labor-intensive. But rich white people from the West who have lost touch with reality and they buy a bunch of land and consider themselves farmers, but they're paying other people to farm their land and do the organic methods like the Prince of Wales. They think it's something that can be done, but literally organic farming as a nationwide movement, something that rich white people in the West have been advocating, has led this country to the brink of starvation. And it's having spillover effects. You need to understand this is not an isolated island situation in Sri Lanka because Sri Lanka exports tea prices 
Those tea prices are going up. Sri Lanka has been self-sufficient with rice. Now it's having to import rice, which is taking rice away from other markets to bring it into Sri Lanka, causing the price to go up even further around the world. For rice, it's having spillover effects into Southeast Asia. It's having spillover effects into Africa. Costs are going up there. You have the wheat shortage out of Ukraine because of the war there. All of these things are having cascading effects, and they're going to come to us too. We can't avoid it. It'll be easier for us because we are largely self-sufficient. But you do need to keep in mind that the Western elite, even in this country, they want us to move to organic farming. They want us to stop using pesticides. I mean, look at the the, uh, Biden administration wanting us to, to get rid of a lot of pesticides and do other methods of pesticides for farms that are far less efficient. Take far more time and just drive up costs. The left in this country and around the world seems intent on ignoring cost to the bottom line and to the poor. And in Sri Lanka, the ruling elite tried to get in good with the Western white elite, decided to pitch the whole nation on going organic, mandated it, and have driven the country to bankruptcy. The president, the prime minister, the speaker of the House of Parliament have been chased out of power, literally chased down the street. The people have had enough. And on top of all of it, something else has happened no one seems to want to pay attention with. They could not pay their loans back for their port development. So now China owns a port in a strategically important part of the Indian Ocean where we ourselves for the longest time have been able to keep outposts in the Indian Ocean, a product of World War II, Now the Chinese are there as well. The Chinese now control a very important trading route with their military because the Sri Lankan government was so invested in impressing rich white people in the West. They drove their country to bankruptcy. They couldn't pay their bills. They had to hand their strategic port over to China. That's it's right next to India a strategic rival to China, and it further destabilizes the world. All of us should stop trying to impress rich white people. It's just going to end badly for the Sri Lankans now. And the cascading effects around the world, well, they're going to be bad for all of us. Folks, if you want all the stuff I'm talking about today, you want to see it for yourself, then you need to text the word DATA to 33777. Subscribe to the Daily Show Notes. You get all the links. You get my morning pieces. Uh, you, You get the show notes emails with all the links. You get videos from the show. You get exclusive interviews. And this next year, when we restart our annual gathering, you'll get the discounts to be able to go to the gathering. We're working out the details on that, but we're going to have to start up next year because I'm getting so many requests from so many people to do it already. So we will, and you know, we'll be heading into a presidential election after this year. So we'll need to be able to vet all the candidates and whatnot. So uh, sign up, text data to 33777. Uh, Austria, this is like the international hour. I didn't intend it to be that way, but just bear with me. Austria is preparing to reopen a coal-fired power plant they closed in 2020. They closed it because of climate change, and they're going to reopen it over Russian gas supplies being cut. The EU has imposed sanctions against Moscow, and it's become necessary 
that they start burning coal again. Now, the problem here is that uh, Europe, as Europe has well abandoned uh, Christian faith, it has embraced the environmentalist faith. So Europeans are more and more likely to believe that we're all going to die in the next decade. Uh, their high priestess, Greta Thunberg, is going to scowl about this, undoubtedly. And yet they got to do it. You're seeing Germany and, and France extend the life of nuclear power plants. The Germans are right now, this is summertime. And to put this in perspective for you, Germany is right now in certain parts of the country turning off the heat at night. They're turning off the heat at night for residents. So they're cold at night now. And it's the summer. Yes, there are parts of Germany in the Alps that get very cool at night. And they're having to turn off the heat there because they don't have enough natural gas and they're trying to, to save on the power bills and they're afraid people are going to go bankrupt and the government's going to have to subsidize people's power. And this is the summer, y'all. This is the summer. Winter is coming. To quote Game of Thrones, winter is coming and it's going to be brutal, brutal for the Europeans because of that. Just, it's it's not good. Uh, this is Fareed Zakaria from CNN. Putin's strategy appears to be impose costs on the West and then play for time, assuming that cracks in the coalition against him will grow as economic pain in these countries grows. Western countries are still not treating this challenge as a paramount priority. The Netherlands has a huge gas field, but it is actually slowing down production. Germany still will not reverse its self-defeating phase-out of nuclear energy. The Biden administration is still making it harder to finance long-term investments in natural gas and oil. It also can't seem to find a way to restore the Iran nuclear deal, a move that would bring an enormous influx of new oil supplies onto the world market and almost certainly stabilize the price. I understand there are valid objections and concerns with all these policies. But the priority has to be to defeat Vladimir Putin. Uh, we don't need to deal with Iran. They're a Putin ally. But these other issues. I mean, the West needs to grow up here. We, we, we're not living in that grand time of peace where they could dither around and, and not think substantively. This is just... I mean, I, I hate to say I, I'm in part agreeing with Fareed Zakaria. We're, we're a national security issue with our energy. Europe held themselves hostage to Putin, and Joe Biden won't get any more out of our ground. We could be solving the world's problems here and making ourselves a ton of money, and Joe Biden and the Democrats refuse to do it because they've embraced the cult of environmentalism. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Y'all, you know, notice... Andrew, that now that Charlie is back behind the phones, no one's calling. It's it's like they knew he was gone, and people would call when when Ann was behind the phones, and they're like, "No, nah, I got to deal with that guy. No way. <laughs> Let's just listen to Erickson talk, <laughs> which is fine. I got stuff to say today. It's just they all know. <laughs> all right. In all seriousness, I, I I do have stuff I need to say. That that wasn't a plea for calls because y'all need to just stand back and and um hang out for a moment. I need to talk to you. Back during the Bush administration, and then with the rise of the Tea Party movement, 
there was, and I, I think Paul Krugman was one of the people, I think maybe he wrote a book or column or something on this, and he wasn't alone. Um, they began to claim that uh, the conservative mind was closed. Conservatives were unwilling, unable, uninvested in the idea of learning the arguments of other people and maybe reconsidering things. And that every data point now had to be twisted and conformed to comply with the pre-existing conservative worldview as opposed to new data coming in and maybe changing the minds of conservatives. This was a, a complaint raised in the media, raised by columnists, raised by pundits, bloggers, and the like. It became this idea that the conservative mind was closed. No new information allowed. Y'all, the Democrats are there. The Democrats are there. Adam Davidson is a political reporter for, I think, Planet Money. He's a um, podcaster and, and radio guy on NPR. He says he's working on a project that shows that there really is no biblical basis for the idea that life begins at conception. Now, this isn't a, a, a I'm, I'm not going to make a theological argument here. Don't, don't tune me out on that. I just need you to, to pay attention here. Uh, it's really important that you, that you understand this. So Adam Davidson, uh, he's been on This American Life, The New Yorker, Planet Money. He's actually one of the people who covered the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. And Adam Davidson says, for a project, I'm researching the biblical case for the idea that life begins at conception. There doesn't seem to be one. It's a brand new idea made up in the 1970s. In the Bible and for nearly all of Christian history, life was thought to begin sometime in the second trimester. This, by the way, is not true. The Catholic Church made it explicit in 1854. Now, we didn't understand until modern science when uh, what was actually going on in there till we had um, uh, microscopes and the like to figure it out. But we kind of made that assumption that life began at conception. What's so interesting here is that Tony Dungy, the famous football coach, replied to Adam Davidson with a number of verses in Scripture that point to the idea that life begins at conception, including one very famous verse in Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That seemed to indicate that something was there. And David said, well, that just means second trimester. Now, the trimesters were actually a, a an idea of modern times. Not an ancient one. But there's a problem for him, and it's Luke 1. Now, again, this isn't supposed to be theological. I'm just trying to, to make a larger point here about where progressives are these days. But here's the thing. Uh, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she would be with child. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth, again, who was in the sixth month, meaning Mary was weeks into this pregnancy, if not days. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and a loud voice she proclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. What does all of this mean? It means there right there in Luke 1 is a very Christian understanding that life begins at conception. If Mary, we know that that um, Mary was pregnant six months after Elizabeth, so she shows up at Elizabeth's house six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, meaning Mary was in the first month of her pregnancy. And John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy at the presence of Christ in the room. So what does Adam Davidson do? The reporter who's trying to prove this, well, he ignores it all. He says, ah, this isn't true. This isn't true. I know better than you. In 70 AD, while the book of Matthew was still being written, possibly, before all the books of the New Testament were formed, the Christians circulated a document against Roman abortion because of conception. All of this is documented. All of this is there. And what does the reporter do? Nope, nope, that's not true. I know better than you. I mean, he's got Christian theologians pointing out the argument to him. He's got strong Christians like Tony Dungy, famous Tony Dungy. And he's like, nope, I know better than you. It's not true because I don't want it to be. The progressive mind is now closed. All new information must be twisted to conform to the pre-existing liberal worldview. Here's another completely random example in Slate magazine appearing today. How Americans became convinced divorce is bad for kids. Hey, listen to this. Listen to this. A careful review of academic research and the historical and cultural context in which it was conducted calls this shared understanding into question. Most of the problems associated with being a child of divorce are instead related to sexism, racism, homophobia, shoddy record-keeping, and insufficient government support. Got that? Ask a child of divorce whether the problems in the divorce were related to sexism, racism, homophobia, shoddy record-keeping, insufficient government support, or because mom and dad broke up. The left can't take the data and think anew. They've got to conform it into existing constructs already in their heads. And right now, intersectionality is the construct in the left's head. Everything is on this plane intersecting the characteristics of people. 
race and sex and gender, if it's not aligned with sex and, and whether someone's gay or straight, male or female, handicapped or not, religious or not, that's intersectionalism. And so divorce now has to play into intersectionalism. Well, divorce is bad for kids. We've known divorce is bad for kids. Kids in two-parent nuclear households, even among parents who do not like each other but stay together for the kids, outperform kids in divorce. Parents who stay together for their kids and wait until their kids get divorced later in life outperform academically because their parents are together in a two-parent nuclear household. The data is there. The data supports it. And the left's way to push back on that data, they can't get out of the habits to show the two-parent nuclear household is good. They can't embrace that worldview. So instead they say, no, actually, it's homophobia, sexism, racism, misogyny, bad record keeping. J.B. Pritzker is the governor of Illinois. He was on with Jake Tapper this weekend. Jake Tacker, Tapper asked him about the shooting in Highland Park. And then Tapper asked him about all the other shootings. I mean, more people died in Chicago over the weekend than died in the Highland Park shooting. Pritzker couldn't entertain it, did not want to entertain it, wouldn't engage with it. We're trying to make all of Illinois safe. Pay no attention to Chicago and how dare you, Jake Tapper, ask the question. Kudos to Tapper for asking about that issue. But Pritzker couldn't engage with it because the Democrats have accepted the norm of violence in Chicago and have decided it's for the black community to talk about. So they don't want to talk about it. The black community won't talk about it, so nobody's allowed to talk about it. They can't open their minds to other possibilities. They can't open their minds to the idea that maybe they're wrong. The Episcopal Church, the leaders of which will one day find themselves in a very uncomfortable position before the throne of God, have over the weekend condemned crisis pregnancy centers. They really believe that if you go to Planned Parenthood, you're given all of the options and not just pushed to have an abortion. But more than one pro-life group has in, uh, done undercover investigations of Planned Parenthood. And where the woman goes in and says she wants to keep the child, she's looking for other options. The people in Planned Parenthood basically say, you can't keep the child. You're not responsible enough. You need to abort the child because Planned Parenthood only makes money from abortions. Multiple undercover pro-life groups have found this all unrelated, all uncoordinated around the country. Planned Parenthood pushes women to have abortions. And yet they're denouncing crisis pregnancy centers because they're so committed to abortion, they can't think differently about the issue. And a crisis pregnancy center, as they call it, a pro-life pregnancy center, is a place where a woman can go who doesn't want an abortion and they provide her diapers, they provide her free health care, they provide her free ultrasounds, they provide her rocking chairs and cribs at either discounted or free costs. They teach her how to raise the child. They provide formula at discounted or free costs. They take care of her and the child and they continue the relationship well after the child is born. All of the things the left says the right does not do in these centers, the right exposes that they do do. So the solution from the left is shut them down. Elizabeth Warren attacks them. Now the Episcopal Church, pagans who engage in Christian cosplay, they want to shut them down on guns, on abortion, on the environment, on life issues generally, on divorce. Democrats are ignorant. 
defensive. They cannot accept that their monopoly on truth has been broken. They cannot accept that there are competing ideas. They do not want to know you and me. They think we're the enemy. They don't want to relate to us. They don't want to understand our arguments. It's one of the successes of the conservative movement in the last 20 years is because the left is so dominant culturally, so dominant within media institutions, so dominant. We have to learn their arguments. They never bother to learn our arguments. We know their arguments better than they know our arguments. They caricature our arguments. They vilify our arguments. They never treat them honestly or sincerely. They believe now that they all come from positions of homophobia, misogyny, racism, sexism, transphobic, whatever. They don't bother to learn them and fairly articulate them in a way a conservative would with charity and good faith the way we have to do with their arguments because they don't think we matter. And so their minds have become closed to us. It's really just profound to watch this happen. It's also why we're winning at this point because we're open to new data and they're not. And they believe that we're closed and they're open. And open to them is closed mind. They've been so open for so long, their brains have fallen out. They can't get it back in. It's remarkable how closed-minded now the left has become to any argument that contradicts them. And they scream and call you a racist, the slightest provocation, because they cannot even at this point entertain basic common sense arguments again. You've got this guy who worked for NPR out there trying to say there, there's, there's no evidence anyone anywhere in 2,000 years of Christian history, despite copious documentation, thought life began at conception. The Bible itself suggests it. No, 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 no. I know better than you. And Slate Magazine saying, uh, you know all that research that shows that kids do worse after divorce? It's actually not because the parents got divorced. Divorce is okay and should be encouraged. It's actually racism, homophobia, misogyny, sexism, and the like. Everything must conform to their pre-existing worldview. They cannot let their worldview evolve because they've dug in on the dogma. And that's why our side continues to make inroads with black and Hispanic voters, with other races, with other incomes outside of rich white people that the Democrats thought were just the Republican Party because conservatives speak the language of America and Democrats now speak the language of the faculty lounge. What the Democrats really need to do is they need to get in a room with all their faculty lounge members, get an Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and just clear the air. I mean, the thunderstorm does great. And right now, those progressives, if they got in a room and wanted to clean the air and start thinking fresh, they could buy one, get one free with the Eden Pure BOGO. It's not a bad deal. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. In fact, I'm going to do it for you right now. EdenPureDeals.com. And you put in Eric BOGO. And look, success. You get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. Buy one, get one free. Add two of them to your cart. You pay only for the one. You get the other one for free. You're saving $129. You add four to the cart. You're only paying for two of them. You get the other two for free. You're saving $258. It's a fantastic deal. It kills bacteria and viruses. It eliminates odor and smells. It purifies your air in your house up to 99.9% of contaminants. The big thing for me, honest to goodness, is that it wipes out odors and it does it so well. Whether it's your car, smoke odors, pet odors, you name it, it wipes out odors. You can get buy one, get one free. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in Eric Bogo on the front page. 
put two of them in your cart, one of them you'll get for free. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo. Well, I got some audio I need to play for you. This is the um, Health and Human Services Secretary, Xavier Becerra, who was the Attorney General for California who doesn't know a whole lot about anything. Uh, He's largely been absent, but listen to this. What I will tell you is that uh, come the fall and winter, uh, most everyone who's uh, an expert on pandemics and these viruses will tell you that strong chance that we see we'll see a resurgence of uh, the virus, whether it's the variants that we have now or new variants, and we got to be ready. That's the Secretary of Health and Human Services saying, "Get ready, get ready." The the fall variant is going to be called the midterm variant, undoubtedly, and Democrats will demand drop boxes again, among other things. The problem here is that the polling now shows that no one cares about COVID. Just going around, I know more and more people in the last month or so who have gotten COVID. All of them, by and large, dealing with very minor cases of it. Uh, not Some of them wouldn't even know they were sick. Uh, in fact, I know somebody who was on a trip, felt bad for one night, didn't even think anything about it, and spent the, the rest of their trip out and about. And then finally, like, you know what? Maybe maybe I had COVID and still tested positive for it, but had no symptoms other than one night. I was out and about. Uh, and that's part of the problem here is these, these variants, particularly for people who are vaccinated, are having no symptoms or reduced symptoms, so they think they've just got a cold or allergies, and they could be spreading it. But the good news is that the people who are getting it overwhelmingly aren't getting really sick. Some are, as in all cases. Some people get really bad colds or have a bad case of the flu. But the vaccine worked not to the extent that it was going to keep us from getting it, but to the extent that we're either not having symptoms or mild symptoms. But, by the way, the research that's out there actually shows overwhelmingly people who are vaccinated, despite the hysteria in the media, are still overwhelmingly less likely to get it. And if they do get it, get a reduced case of it. So it's good. And we shouldn't have to care about COVID now. But the media wants to and the government wants to because they see it as a way to control us by leaving us in fear with the virus.